You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello all, Eric Rivenis with the Most Notorious Podcast here. Each week I interview an author or historian about a historical true crime, tragedy, or disaster. Subject matter ranges from gunslingers to Gilded Age murder to gangsters to fires to pirates to wild prison breaks. My guests bring their incredible knowledge directly to you. Please subscribe to Most Notorious on your favorite podcast app. Cheers, and have a safe tomorrow. On October 26, 1881, a group of nine outlaws and lawmen gathered in a narrow alleyway in Tombstone, Arizona. Their showdown was the result of long, simmering tensions that had been building between these two groups. Tensions about good and evil, right and wrong, and the future of the American frontier. Thirty seconds and thirty gunshots later, three of the nine men were dead. Though the shootout had taken place next to C.S. Fly's famous photography studio, its legend soon became linked to the name of the livery six doors down, the O.K. Corral. As that legend grew, the classic retelling of the gunfight at the O.K. Corral said that the lawmen won and the outlaws got what they deserved. But what really happened on that October day in Tombstone, Arizona? Were the lawmen, Wyatt Earp, and Doc Holliday among them really the good guys? What about the three men they killed? Though the gunfight at the OK Corral only lasted 30 seconds, both the questions surrounding it and its legacy as the most iconic shootout in the history of the Wild West have endured for over a century and for good reason. You're listening to History Uncovered, brought to you by the digital publisher All That's Interesting, where we explore the uncharted corners of the natural world and the world past. I'm All That's Interesting staff writer Kalina Fraga. Today, we're going to Tombstone, Arizona, and the infamous story of the gunfight at the OK Corral. Please stick around at the end of the episode for a very special guest, Mr. Tom Clavin, who literally wrote the book on Tombstone and will share some thoughts about the town and the gunfight at the OK Corral. To understand what happened at the OK Corral on October 26, 1881, you have to understand the town of Tombstone, Arizona. In many ways, Tombstone embodied the Wild West, or at least what the Wild West had become by the 1880s. The town had been founded only a few years earlier, in 1877, by a prospector named Ed Shiflin. Why give a town such a dreary name? When Schleiflin headed west in hopes of striking it rich by discovering silver ore, he was instead warned about the dangers ahead and the other prospectors who had been killed by Native Americans. As the story goes, Schleiflin was told, the only rock you will find out there will be your own tombstone. Or, in another version of the story, better take your coffin with you, Ed. You will only find your tombstone there and nothing else. Apparently, Schleiflin didn't lack a sense of humor. After finding silver ore, he made a claim on the land and later called it Tombstone. To this day, the city's motto is, the town too tough to die. In the American West of the 1870s, discoveries of silver or gold were like a beacon, 
It wasn't long before other mines opened up near Tombstone. By the end of 1879, a few thousand people had flocked to the town. They lived in makeshift tents and hoped to find riches at the best silver mine in the Arizona Territory. Soon, more permanent structures began to spring up from the Arizona desert. By 1881, Tombstone had a luxurious hotel, a bowling alley, a wine shop, plenty of saloons, and several thousand residents, including a lawman named Wyatt Earp and his brothers, as well as a group of outlaws called the Cowboys. By 1881, Tombstone was divided into two factions. On one side were the outlaws, the so-called Cochise County Cowboys, also called the Cowboys or the Clanton Gang. They included two sets of brothers, Ike and Billy Clanton and Frank and Tom McLowry, as well as men like Billy Claiborne, John Ringo, and others. Primarily, the Cowboys were cattle wrestlers. They operated along the U.S.-Mexico border, stealing cattle, robbing stagecoaches, and even committing murders. After stealing cattle from Mexico, the cowboys would then sell the beef in Tombstone and use their profits to hit up the town's many saloons. And they would have had their pick of establishments. By 1881, Tombstone had more than 100 bars. The cowboys soon became perhaps the most powerful force in Tombstone. Money talks, and they spent what they earned and stole at local Tombstone businesses Businesses, nervous about offending the cowboys and losing their much-needed business, were often willing to overlook their more outrageous behavior. Before long, Tombstone had a reputation as a lawless and violent den of outlaws and bandits. But Tombstone was a Wild West town. And, like in any good Wild West town, it also had lawmen looking to rein in outlaws like the cowboys. The lawmen of Tombstone were largely made up of another set of brothers, the Earps. They included the town marshal, Virgil, his brothers, Wyatt and Morgan, and their friend, Doc Holliday. Virgil Earp later described the town of Tombstone to an Arizona newspaper, saying, The Tombstone country is of a peculiar character, the community being unsettled and dangerous. Life as a lawman in a town like Tombstone wasn't easy. Virgil told the same paper that, an officer doing his duty must rely almost entirely upon his own conscience for encouragement, because the townsfolk were more likely to side with the cowboys and their money. The cowboys certainly weren't pleased when the Earps rolled into town and started to lay down the law. As Virgil put it, when the desperate characters who were congregated in Tombstone, and who had been unaccustomed to troublesome molestation by the authorities, learned that we meant business and were determined to stop their rascality, they began to make it warm for us. Warm, indeed. By October 1881, the simmering hostility between the two factions would come to a boil. The Cowboys and the Earps clashed throughout the summer of 1881. Virgil Earp made no friends among the Cowboys when he outlawed guns within the city limits, thus giving him a reason to arrest anyone who did bring a weapon into town. 
and the cowboys were furious that the Earps had curtailed their cattle hustling. After Virgil helped federal agents reclaim cattle that the cowboys had stolen, Tom McLowry warned him that, if you ever follow us as close as you did, then you will have to fight. Indeed, the cowboys were known to boast loudly in Tombstone saloons that they would soon send Wyatt Earp to Boot Hill, Tombstone's cemetery. On October 25, 1881, the day before the shootout, Ike Clanton hopped from saloon to saloon, getting drunk and making threats against the Earps and Holiday. At the Oriental Saloon, he met up with his fellow cowboy Tom McLowry, as well as Doc Holliday and Virgil, Morgan, and Wyatt Earp. There, Doc Holliday confronted him, saying, I heard you're going to kill me, Ike. The two men exchanged words. Virgil, the senior lawman, told both men to cool it, or he'd throw them in jail. He pulled his friend Doc Holliday back, but Clanton wasn't done. Clanton swore to Holliday that he'd kill him, tomorrow when the others come to town. To the Earps, Clanton added, get ready for a showdown. Ike Clanton spent the night getting progressively drunker and progressively angrier. On the morning of October 26, Virgil pistol-whipped Clanton and dragged him before the judge. When Clanton's fellow cowboy Tom McLowry approached the courthouse, he and Wyatt Earp exchanged words, and Wyatt pistol-whipped him as well. Tempers were hot. That afternoon, a group of cowboys gathered on Fremont Street, between C.S. Fly's photo gallery and Jersey's livery stables. They were Ike and Billy Clanton, Tom and Frank McLowry, and Billy Claiborne. They were plotting to kill Doc Holliday when he walked by, and it wasn't long before word reached the Earps. They mean trouble, one Tombstone resident told Virgil Earp. They are all armed, and I think you better go disarm them. Virgil Earp agreed. In one account, Virgil asked the sheriff, John Behan, for backup, but Behan demurred, saying, Hell, this is your fight, not mine. In another account, Behan went to the cowboys himself to try to convince them to go home peacefully, to no avail. In any case, Virgil decided to round up his brothers, Wyatt and Morgan, and Doc Holliday, whom he may have deputized, to confront the cowboys. Virgil couldn't allow the cowboys to roam about Tombstone with their guns. He would arrest them. Approaching the cowboys near, but not in the OK Corral, Virgil announced that he had come to disarm them. You are under arrest for attempting to disturb the peace, Virgil said. He held in his hand a walking stick, not a gun, which he held up as if meaning to show that he was unarmed. Throw up your hands, boys, he said. I intend to disarm you. We will, said Frank McLowry. But instead of surrendering, he put his hand on the butt of his gun. Billy Clanton and Tom McLowry also reached for their weapons. Doc and Wyatt reacted immediately. Wyatt yanked out his gun from his pocket, and Doc lifted his shotgun. The click of the guns getting ready to fire boomed through the tent's still air. Hold, Virgil Earp shouted. I don't mean that. But it was too late. Thirty shots rang out in just thirty seconds. When the gun smoke cleared, three of the cowboys were dead. Tom and Frank McLowry and Billy Clanton. A bullet had grazed Doc Holliday's hip. Morgan was shot in the shoulder, Virgil in the lower leg. Wyatt Earp was entirely unharmed. The shootout had taken place some 90 feet away from the now iconic livery down the street, but it would forever be known by its name as the gunfight at the OK Corral. As Virgil Earp later said, we went into Tombstone to do our duties as officers. To do that, we were put in conflict with a band of desperados, and it resolved itself into a question 
of which side could first drive the other out of the country or kill them in it. of the gunfight's mere 30 seconds would begin its echo throughout American history in a way that persists to this day. Before this showdown, Tombstone was no stranger to violence, but the gunfight shocked and angered many of its residents. As Tom Clavin writes in his book on Tombstone, many people in town had an eye on the future. The shooting at the OK Corral represented Tombstone's violent and embarrassing past. Plus, the cowboys were not friendless in town. The bodies of the dead men were put on display under a sign which read, Murdered in the Streets of Tombstone, certainly suggesting that their deaths hadn't been justified. And hundreds of people attended their funeral procession, which one local paper called the largest funeral ever to take place in town. Immediately after the shootout, the Earps and Doc Holliday were tried for murder, but a judge ruled that they were fully justified in committing these homicides. As he put it, when we consider the conditions of affairs incident to a frontier country, the lawlessness and disregard for human life, I can attach no criminality to this unwise act. I order them to be released. In other words, things were dealt with differently in the Wild West. But the survivors would not get off scot-free, Virgil and Morgan were later shot by a vengeful cowboy. Virgil was crippled for life. Morgan was killed. Wyatt Earp would lead an infamous vendetta riot in search of vengeance. He and Doc Holliday set out from Tombstone in March 1882 and killed multiple cowboys whom they believed had attacked Virgil and Morgan. Were the lawmen any better than the men they had killed? Their brand of justice was at home in the Wild West, but... By 1880, gunfights were increasingly out of fashion. The American frontier was shrinking. By 1890, the superintendent of the U.S. Census announced that the frontier had vanished. Rapid settlement in the western United States, he said, meant there can hardly be said to be a frontier line. Developments like the Transcontinental Railroad, completed in 1869, meant that the West had become much less wild and more like the rest of the country. We spoke with author and historian Tom Clavin about Tombstone's place in American history and the mythic story's larger-than-life characters. Today I'm talking with Tom Clavin about the wild west town of Tombstone and the famous gunfight at the OK Corral. Uh, you, Mr. Clavin, are a New York Times bestselling author who has written or co-written 19 books. Uh, two of your previous books, Wild Bill and Dodge City, were also set in the American West. And this book, Tombstone, is another story that explores what life was like during that era of American history. Um, what inspired you to write about Tombstone? Well... The word inspire implies that there were some the clouds parted and I had this <laughs> revelation that I needed to write about Tombstone. And I'm afraid it was less romantic than that. 
uh, I had written two previous books called Wild Bill and Dodge City. And so it just made a lot of sense to do a trilogy and complete the story. And mm. so that's what inspired Tombstone, that uh, basically I had begun a story that began with the ending of the Civil War and the first gunfighter. And I wanted to take it through 1882 because basically by the early to mid-1880s, the Wild West was not wild anymore. Hmm. And the importance of Tombstone was that it was probably uh, certainly the most well-known final gun battle of the Wild West. Um, this is something you touched on in your foreword. You talk about how you were you went on book tour and you were telling your fans about how you're going to write about Tombstone. And people were really excited, but they were also um, a little bit surprised that you had chosen this topic. So I wondered if you could expand on that more, why people were both maybe taken aback a bit and excited about this next book. Well, I think it seemed like the reason why they were excited is because I was revisiting a story that everybody thinks they know, which is mm. Stone in the gunfight at the OK Corral. And there have been numerous retellings of that story, especially uh, on screen. So it's something that people get excited about because it's like you want to watch you know, your favorite World Series game. You're gonna keep, you're gonna you're gonna find it on YouTube and watch the 1986 World Series game between the Knicks and the, the Mets and the Red Sox. You're gonna watch it again. You've seen it 15 times. But I think they were surprised because Tombstone has is a story that's been told before. Mm-hmm. And is the, would there be something that was going to be brought to the table that hadn't been uh, done before, or a different way of approaching it, or a different angle, or emphasis on different characters? So. Uh, I realized that on the one hand, I think people would be interested in, in, in a book about Tombstone. Uh, I sort of had to prove myself that there was a reason why there should be a new book about Tombstone. Interesting. Okay, that that kind of ties into the next couple of questions I have, which which is what what film and television has has gotten wrong about Tombstone and the famous gunfight at the OK Corral? What have they gotten right, and what have they gotten wrong? They've gotten a lot more wrong than right, uh, which is a reason why I thought that a book that tries to to just deal only with the accurate facts of the the gunfight. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the most classic stories is called uh, My Darling Clementine, which is a great John Ford movie with Henry Fonda playing White Earp. And when you watch that film, most of it is inaccurate. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, there's funny things that happen in that movie for no apparent reason why Virgil Earp, for example, is... uh, is killed before the gunfight even takes place. Doc Holliday dies during the gunfight at the OK Corral. Mm. Uh, another Earp brother who dies in the first 10 minutes of the picture. I, you know, I can't explain why John Ford made these changes, but there's also another movie called The Gunfight at the OK Corral with Burt Lancaster as Wyatt Earp and, and uh, Kirk Douglas as, as Doc Holliday. And it shows the gunfight at the OK Corral, the climactic gun battle, uh, taking up the last 15 minutes of the movie and people are running behind buildings and behind horses and, dashing here and there and everywhere in, in Tombstone. And the truth of the matter is the gunfight at the OK Corral, there were 30 shots exchanged in 30 seconds. The battle was 30 seconds long. Mm, yeah. So there's for maybe just for dramatic reasons that the uh, gunfight is is not portrayed accurately. The other thing that happens too with the movies, uh, just to go very briefly into this, is uh, usually when the, move, when the gunfight ends, the movie ends. You know, the music mm. swells, the credits come on, it's over. And... There was a lot more that happened in Tombstone that involved our major players after the gunfight. The gunfight was not the end of the hostilities in Tombstone. In fact, there was a very, I think, rather thrilling legal courtroom drama that followed. And then there was the Herb Vendetta ride. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times that the movies make it seem like everybody lived happily ever after at the, at the end of the gunfight. Now, it's not true. 
Yeah, I think that's what your book is 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 goes into as well is that the gunfight is one part of the story. This mm-hmm. vendetta ride is a whole another part that's sort of unexplored. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So would you say that the biggest misconceptions then about Tombstone are a that the gunfight was the whole story, and and b that that some characters died who actually didn't die, or are there other things that come to mind about things that people don't understand about the story? Well, I think a couple of things you just said are quite true. You know about the the, the characters and about the events there not being quite true. Uh, I think another misconception about Tombstone is that the people at the Earps, Earp Brothers and Doc Holliday were confronting on that, that afternoon, October 26th, 1881, were bad guys. Mm. Uh, they were villains, outlaws. And that was not the case. Uh, the, 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 the McLowry Brothers, the Clanton Brothers were local ranchers. Uh, they were they were hardworking guys. They they had lived in the area for a while. They intended to live there for the rest of their lives. I mean, as it turned out, they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did lives <laughs> they they hoped they would. Um, the the McLaurys and the Clantons had. I mean, they did provoke the fight. Let me put it that way. It didn't have to happen, but they they were there. They felt that they were they were fighting for a way of life that was important to them and that they wanted to continue. And that the Earps wanted to stop them, you know, sort of defense them in, maybe not literally, but defense them in with their some of the liberties they thought they were protecting. Uh, one of those liberties, unfortunately, was that they could do what they wanted when they wanted, hmm. which included, you know, if they needed, wanted to shoot up the town, they could shoot up the town. So that's one of the misconceptions, too, that it was a pure good versus evil kind of confrontation. And it wasn't. The Earps were not all good. And the McLaurys and Clantons weren't all bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like any any great character in American history, they came with nuance. Yes. Um, what about, are, are there any big mysteries or unanswered questions that come to mind about Tombstone or the shootout itself? Well, I think one of the mysteries involves the character of Johnny Ringo. And mm. an important part of the Tombstone story is that it was kind of the last gasp for the cowboys as they were originally defined. I mean, we have a, we have a conception now of cowboys as a, a romantic image of them. And and uh, to some extent justified, but cowboy was actually a derogatory term. It was like, well, you can't do anything else except be a cowboy. <laughs> can stay on a horse and, and and mosey along with with a thousand head of cattle for, for over six weeks and deliver them somewhere. It doesn't take a very high skill set to do that. So uh, and the cowboys did live from paycheck to paycheck, and they did like to carouse, and they did like to whoop it up. And gradually, though, the Cowboys had been kicked out of Texas into New Mexico, had been kicked out of New Mexico into Arizona, and there wasn't any place left for them to go. So the Cowboys are an important part of the Tombstone story. And one of the two ringleaders of the Cowboys was a fellow named Johnny Ringo. And he died under very mysterious circumstances. And we pretty much can, can surmise what happened to him, but we'll, ne- I don't, we'll never, never, unless we had a time machine, mm. we'll know for sure would kill Johnny Ringo. Fascinating character, very mysterious man. I thought there were two interesting uh, sort of mysteries you mentioned at the at the very end of your book, honey, when you're summing up everyone's lives. And that's the founder of Tombstones. He may have found like gold or something. And he says, yeah. but by God, I found it again. And then he dies and no one ever knows. I'm glad you brought that up. That's a great uh, uh, thing that you noticed there because, I mean, Tombstone was just a spot in the sand, basically, uh, in, the, in, the, in the desert, on the edge of the desert. And uh, a man named Ed Shifflin uh, was the one who discovered silver and he made Tombstone into the boom town it was. And then he left hmm. because once it got civilized, it was boring to him. And yes, at, at the, he, he was in Oregon, if I remember correctly, that he 
he was found slumped over his table, his writing table. He had just written, Eureka, I found it again. <laughs> he had done again what he had done for Tombstone, but because the secret died with him. And so we'll, I guess we'll never know. We'll never know. Yeah, that's, that's really funny. Um, I also liked, I think, Wyatt Earp's last words. The, I think it's something like, suppose, suppose, um, oh, well, and then he goes to sleep and dies. Yeah, and, and you know, there people have speculated ever since January 1929 when he uttered those words and died. Was he wondering about, suppose if I had never become a lawman, suppose if I had never gone to Tombstone, suppose, mm. suppose I had, if I had never uh, become a famous man, if I suppose my first wife had never passed away tragically. He w- was intending at the time to spend the rest of his life raising a family in, in Missouri. Mm. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll again, it, we'll, we'll never know. But we'll it's, never it's, know. It's, it's, it's interesting to speculate. Yeah, especially since his two of his brothers died or one I can't remember but well, in, in, in Tombstone uh, his brother Virgil was bushwhacked and mm. severe, uh, wounded and, and and one of his arms was was basically useless after that his brother Morgan was killed shot in the back by the time Wyatt died one of his other brothers who had been part of his vendetta ride Tombstone was also uh, died uh, shot to death so there was there was uh, enough tragedy to go around in the herb family. Yeah, yeah, it certainly sounds like it. One thing you touched on early on in this discussion was how Tombstone fits into the Wild West in American history. And, you know, when this happened, 1881, the Civil War had been over for um, a little while at that point, and the railroad had been built. I think it was completed in 1869. So yes. the West the West was changing. So how did Tombstone, the story of Tombstone, fit into, like, the larger legacy of the Wild West? Well, the Wild West... Basically, you could say it began with the end of the Civil War in 1865 and to the rest of the 1860s and through the 1870s. And the 1870s part is pretty much covered in my book, Dodge City. Mm. And then once you got into the 1880s, the Wild West was starting to close. You know, it was only a few years later that the head of the U.S. Census Bureau said the frontier is gone. Mm. There is no frontier anymore. Not not that every square acre had been settled. Of course, that's, that's still true to this day. But there were no more unexplored territories. We knew where everything was, you know. And, and so Tombstone was really the last boom town. It was the last town on the edge of the frontier. You couldn't go any farther west because, you know, it's, it's like westward expansion had run out of room because the next west state of Arizona is California. California was already settled. Mm. So there's kind of a poignancy to Tombstone that it was this boom town that it was uh, it became famous almost overnight, getting even more famous because of the gunfight. Mm. Fame it did not want. And then when the boom town ended in Tombstone, it was that was the, I think, the end of the Wild West. You're going to still find pockets of it, certainly, for the rest of the of the 1800s. But but Tombstone was that was that last um, example of a Wild West town before it got civilized. Do you know um, if when the gunfight happened, if this was something that would have made national news or headlines at the time? It did, uh, much to the uh, unhappiness of the governor of Arizona, because he's trying to convince the president in Washington and the Congress that uh, Arizona should be it, uh, is, is, a, is a, a safe place that people can come and settle here and farm here and go, raise their families, send their kids to school, and that the, the, the era of the gunfight is over. People are not going around on the streets pulling out their guns and shooting. And uh, Arizona is a place to come and invest financially come invest your lives you know, 
have your families here. And then October 26, 1881, uh, eight men encounter each other in a 15-foot-wide alley and have a violent, extremely violent gunfight that leaves three of them dead and four of them wounded. And it's it was the, the news, of course, not only appeared almost immediately in the Arizona press, but it did spread nationally. And, and it put exactly the wrong look on Arizona than what the local and state leaders wanted. Wow. Um, so it was bad press. It's interesting because now, you know, the OK Corral in, in Arizona is, is sort of a tourist attraction. Yeah. So it's something they sort of um, promote as a good thing. Well, they did. that's why it's the OK Corral, because the gunfight did not take place in the OK Corral. Mm-hmm. I just mentioned it was it took place in this alley that's only 15 foot wide. Well, you can't have too many cheering spectators in a 15 foot wide alley. <laughs> right. So, so better that the gunfight took place in the OK Corral. You could put up stands and people could sit there and watch what goes on. Yeah, yeah. Easier to promote that way. I guess that, that ties into my question about of how perspective of the event changed over time. If there's anything more to say about that, um, it went from being a bad thing to sort of a tourist attraction. But Well, a big part of that was because Tombstone itself was a town in jeopardy. I mean, Tombstone builds itself, and with some accuracy, as the town that wouldn't die. Mm. Uh, it underwent, even during the period that I write about, 1881 and 1882, not one, but two devastating fires that almost wiped out the town. And then what the next thing that happened after that is that the, the silver mine dried up. Mm. Uh, the mines, you know, they, 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 I sh- they actually did the, the opposite drying up. The, the silver itself dried up at the same time that the mines were being flooded. Uh, so oh. the water was rising in the mines, in the mountains. And so there went the biggest economic factor that kept the town going. Mm. So for, for decades, Tombstone was almost a ghost town. You know, uh, it, it's that it, it, a few people hung on. I mean, I, I, th- I think of a lyric by uh, one of my famous singers, Jason Isbell. He said, uh, "This used to be a ghost town until even the ghosts left." <laughs> so that that was Tombstone. But then they started something. I believe I can't remember. It was in the 20s or 30s called Hell Dorado, and they decided let's trade off the frontier Wild West reputation that Tombstone has and put on these demonstrations of gunfights and wagon races and horse races and uh, cowboy reenactors. And uh, it, it did it. It did the trick. It got people to, because Tombstone's not that easy to get to, certainly not in the 20s and 30s in the southeast corner of, of Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it started to bring people there. And, and Tombstone, to this day, can count on a certain amount of their income because of the tourist dollar. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, I have to say that Jason Isbell is one of my favorite uh, singers as well. I think he's fantastic. Terrific. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you, you've written quite a bit about, about the Wild West and the frontier, but what, did you learn anything new or surprising while researching more into Tombstone specifically? Um, I think what was surprising to me about the stories, of course I knew of the gunfight at the OK Corral, and of course I knew about the Earp Vendetta ride. Uh, you know, in the movie Tombstone, for example, with Kurt Russell as Wyatt Earp and Val Kilmer as, as Doc Holliday, there is some uh, depiction of the Earp Vendetta ride. It's not completely accurate, but at least there's some of that. But what I was unfamiliar with is that almost immediately after the gunfight at the OK Corral, the Earp brothers and Doc Holliday were all arrested, and Wyatt and Doc were put on trial for murder. Mm. And and it was a whole month long trial with a lot of interesting testimony that was given. And at the end of it, if the man, if the judge Spicer Wells, who was presiding over the 
proceeding had ruled that they uh, should be brought to Tombstone, that there was enough evidence there to actually put them on trial for murder, uh, they could have, we could have ended up having in our history books now that uh, Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday were executed. They were hung hmm. for murder or spent the rest of their lives in prison. And uh, certainly our history of the West would be a lot different if that was the case. So that, I found that surprising. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, bringing, yeah, bringing them up again, you know, you, you mentioned before that this had traditionally been a story of sort of good versus bad. So when you've been writing about Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and, and those men, did your perspective change of them? Uh, I, uh, they certainly became more human characters to me. Um, mm. I dealt with Wyatt Earp in Dodge City in the context of he and Bat Masterson were younger men then and were basically young lawmen trying to tame a, a very difficult city. Uh, the wickedest city in the West was the reputation it had. But then Wyatt went to Tombstone not only because he saw a, a business opportunity there in a boomtown, but he wanted to reunite with his brothers. Mm. Five Earth brothers at Tombstone at the same time. Five of the six Earth brothers got together in Tombstone, seeing it as a time, as a place at a time that they could reinvent themselves as successful and respected businessmen. And that dream was shattered in several ways, especially by by the gunfight at the OK Corral. So I think that their their ambition to be together as brothers and and maybe raise families there and have it have that dream dashed was uh, kind of sad and humanizing to me. They weren't just cartoon figures. They weren't just movie figures. They weren't just figures that you you put on a on a on a billboard. They they were actually people who were looking for something that's supposed to be happened to you in America. You get a second chance. And mm. they they got their second chance. And it's it's poignant to me that they they didn't make the go of it they wanted to. Yeah, that is really sad given what happened to most of the brothers in, in as a result of Tombstone. Yeah. So as you were researching and writing the book, were there any facts or anecdotes that you came across that you thought were really cool, but for one reason or another you didn't include in the final the final work? I don't think so. I mean, there are things, obviously, that didn't make it into the final cut of the book, only because you have to keep in mind, you know, how much, how many pages are your readers willing to endure of <laughs> prose. But I think, I think quite the opposite. I think the, the the more interesting things that I wanted to make sure in there. For example, uh, there's some quotes from Wyatt Earp's testimony at at the trial, uh, at the the inquest that took place after the gunfight. And some of those documents had only been found in, in the bot in the basement, like of the Tombstone Courthouse, within the last few years. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of new new perspectives uh, from, from Wyatt Earp on that. That that's kind of interesting. Uh, I think being able to int- put a little bit more in there about the the, the romance that Wyatt Earp had. I mean, one of the possible uh, instigations for the gunfight at the OK Corral was that Wyatt essentially stole the sheriff's fiance, and. Hmm. That usually doesn't end well. <laughs> no. And so and so it's, it's, there was this obvious tension between Wyatt and the sheriff that may have contributed to why the gunfight took place or why the sheriff at least didn't do more to stop it. Mm. So I, I, think, I think what may answer the question a little bit is that I tried to put a little bit more of what made these people tick and what were some of the interpersonal relationships. Again, to make the story feel like you're reading about real people, even though these people lived over you know almost 150 years ago. You can still mm-hmm. understand what they were going through. Yeah, that's fascinating what you said about um, finding new documents in, in a basement somewhere. Every historian's <laughs> greatest dream. Yeah, it is. Something new, yeah. Um, okay, so my last question then is just, if, if you have any um, favorite 
facts or stories about Tombstone you wanted to share? Uh, I think, and maybe you already have, but I, 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 I yes and yes and no, I, I already have. One of my favorite uh, anecdotes that I really enjoyed, uh, and I think I highlighted it in a story that's not been done before, is that Doc Holliday was not a good shooter. Uh, mm. He's often portrayed as this deadly gunfighter and, and dangerous guy. Doc couldn't hit anything with a gun. And there have been gunfights that he was in, and people just shot it. They, they, they shot all the bullets in their pistols and then walked away without being wounded because Doc couldn't <laughs> do anything. And so I like the part where, to me, it's funny. Uh, I tried to write it in a subtle, subtle way, but when the, when the Earp brothers are gathering and they know they have to confront the Clans and the McLowrys uh, on, on the other end, it's on, uh, down the street. And Doc Holliday shows up, and basically Wyatt Earp is Doc's only friend. I mean, nobody knows mm-hmm. Doc, but Wyatt is his friend. And Wyatt's loyal to him. And Doc comes to confronts Wyatt and puts him on a guilt trip. Like, you're going you're going to confront or possibly get killed against some guys, and you didn't tell me about it in advance. You're not bringing me along. How could you do that to me? So Virgil Earp, who was the marshal, sort of holds his nose a bit and makes and deputizes Doc. I mean, the last mm-hmm. person you want wearing a badge is Doc Holliday. And what he does is he gives Doc a shotgun. And it's kind of a funny moment because the Earp brothers know that maybe with a shotgun, Doc will hit something. Uh-huh. Not with a pistol, but maybe the shotgun. He, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna, it's hard not to hit somebody with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of a funny thing. These guys are about to go into a fight with that, that they could all die in this fight. And I think they expected to. Uh, they thought they were gonna be outnumbered. And, and yet there's this funny moment where Virgil still like rolls his eyes and says, okay, we'll take Doc along here, Doc. Even you can hit something with a shotgun. <laughs> That's great. Wow. Um, fantastic. Well, that, that's all the questions I have. Um, thanks so much for talking. It's been, it, it's been great to, to really, like you said, add some, some depths to these, these men who yes. are, are known in history, but yeah, it'd give them a bit more, a bit more perspective. Humanity, I thought that they were, they were, yeah. they were real flesh and blood people. We, we, you know, all these years later, we come to regard them as movie characters or, Mm-hmm. or cardboard characters but uh they they were real people and 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 at any moment any of them could have died and a couple of our main characters did not get to the end of the book mm-hmm. yeah i think that's one interesting thing about history in general is there's this sense of everything being inevitable you know but for these people living in the moment right. they didn't know they were, they were seeing it in real time yeah Tombstone, Arizona, and the gunfight at the OK Corral stand as the last gasp of a dying era, an era of cowboys and sheriffs, dusty saloons, and shootouts that echo through time as symbols of a lost age, and continue to fascinate us to this day. For more on the story of Tombstone and the famous figures who made it legendary, visit allthatsinteresting.com. Thanks for listening to History Uncovered. I'm History Uncovered's producer, Kit Westneat. If you like the show, help others find us by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And be sure to follow the All That's Interesting and History Revealed pages on Facebook and Real History Uncovered on Instagram. Make sure you don't miss out on the new episodes and subscribe to the History Uncovered podcast. And keep up with our latest stories at allthatsinteresting.com. If you have a question about the show or just want to say hi, feel free to call us at 929-526-3029 or email us at podcast at allthatsinteresting.com. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network.
Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Legends of the Old West and Redacted History. Until next time, keep exploring. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.